Welcome to the Hollywood in Toto podcast, the right take on entertainment. The hit cast offers a weekly look at Hollywood from a conservative point of view. Sick of media bias infecting Hollywood headlines? Tired of stars insulting your views? Hit has your back. Now, here's your host, Christian Toto. Welcome to episode 87 of the Hollywood and Toto podcast, The Right Take on Entertainment. This week we're speaking with Lindsley Donnelly, the newest board member of the Parents Television Council. She's got some really great insights on television, Netflix, and how you can protect your children from some of TV's more unsavory elements. You know it's out there. I think you're going to learn a lot from this episode. This week's show is sponsored by actresses against Brett Kavanaugh, but curiously silent about Bill Clinton, Keith Ellison, and Ralph Franken. You know, this week I had some fun at PJ Media mocking the latest celebrity PSA. Again, it was aimed at stopping Brett Kavanaugh from becoming our next Supreme Court justice. Yes, we have another allegedly viral video with stars appearing without makeup, looking awkward, looking confused, repeating the same sentences again and again, and of course, pretending they're the foremost authorities on the issues at hand. To paraphrase someone from the late 80s, gag me with a spoon. It's just another example of how insincere the Me Too movement, based in Hollywood, has become, and that's a shame. You know, these stars instantly sided with Kavanaugh's accuser, but they didn't complain when Samantha B. slimed President Trump's daughter in the grossest way possible. They didn't complain when Jim Jeffries on Comedy Central called First Lady Melania Trump wooden and dirty. I wish I was making that up. It really happened. Now, can you imagine if like a Tim Allen or a Dennis Miller had said those comments about First Lady Michelle Obama? They would literally be walked out of the Hollywood community and never be left back in. It's really depressing. And I actually wonder what's changed about Hollywood behind the scenes these days. Yes, Harvey Weinstein is gone, good riddance. Are his antics gone? Is there anyone else like him doing what he was up to all those years? Is it easier today to call out an actor who behaves badly behind the scenes? Can actresses speak out without fear of repercussions or reprisal about their own Me Too incidents? I don't know. Here's one good sign. A new USA Today story had several different people who work behind the scenes in Hollywood, actresses, people who work in the community, talking out about the situation, sharing their stories, and using their names. That's a really good sign that something is happening positive. Is this the exception that proves the rule? Is this a change? We don't know. Now, obviously, no matter what's going on, there's got to be a lot of work to be done behind the scenes with Me Too and Hollywood. But I have to say, the Starlets attacking Kavanaugh with very little significant, credible evidence, they're not doing the movement any favors. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to my daddy's podcast. Now, here's the hit tweet of the week. Congratulations, Bess Kalb. Who? She's a writer for Jimmy Kimmel Live, and when you hear what she's got to say on Twitter, that'll make perfect sense. A few more months until Brett Kavanaugh and his friends get to hold 100 million women down and take away their agency over their bodies. Guilty until proven innocent is the new not-so-gold standard in Hollywood. My hit tip of the week is role models. Paul Rudd is now Ant-Man. Sean William Scott is the newest lethal weapon. Let's see how long that lasts. In this very funny 19, a 2008 comedy, 
they play mismatched partners who are working together as part of their community service punishment. They have to help out kids. Not a good idea. Now, this one's rated R, so keep the youngins far away. But I got a lot of big laughs out of this movie. And it's the kind of film where the director knows he's got some very talented people in front of the camera. Just let them roll. Now, you know Rudd is a very fine comic actor, but I think Scott's underrated. He's very good here. The role is perfectly tailored to his unique comic energy, high level all the way. Now, I met Scott years ago, and he was one of my favorite interviews in person. He was a Minnesota native. We shared some stories. My wife is from Minnesota. Just one of the nicest guys I've seen off the camera. And I have to say, I remember being kind of curious about the large tattoos he had on his forearms. I guess when he's in different movies, they can kind of cover them up, and it's not a problem. But I just thought, boy, if I'm an actor, I would not have tattoos that big. But maybe they're a long-lasting and maybe even a little bit of a bit of regret there. Now, he may be forever stiffler, but in role models, he's just as good as Paul Rudd. And that's saying something. Role Models is available right now on Netflix. You're listening to the Hollywood in Toto podcast, the right take on entertainment. Now let's get this week's HitCast interview. As a father of two young boys, I'm really conflicted with about letting them see certain content on their tablets, on their smartphones, I don't always, I'm not always able to see them 24-7. I can't hover over their shoulders and find out, hey, what are you guys watching? Where do you draw the line between letting them have their creative freedom, letting them enjoy themselves, enjoying their tablet time, and also saying, hey, stop it. That's not really appropriate for you. That's where Lindsay Donnelly comes in. She's new to the Parents Television Council board. It's her job and her colleague's job to let content providers know they're being watched. It's not about censorship, per se. It's arming parents with the very best information possible. And it's also about, hey, sometimes content providers give stuff out there that may be harmful. They should be aware of it. They should be held accountable. They should have to answer to the public about what they're putting out there. And uh, it applies to a lot of different channels, including Netflix. Now, her group has repeatedly clashed with the streaming giant, but she's also got some really good tips for parents who are kind of clueless about this whole situation. I know I am. I feel very helpless sometimes about what my kids are watching, and I really enjoy this conversation for that reason. Before we begin, I have to say there was a little bit of a technical glitch here. The uh, Skype gremlins got a hold of my computer. So it starts out in one recording method. I had to switch gears. The audio isn't as good the second time around, but you can hear her just fine. You can hear me too. So I think you'll enjoy it, but just a quick heads up, sometimes uh, the technical Problems of podcasting are really tough to meet, but uh, I think we did the best we could here, and I think you're going to enjoy it. Here's my chat with Lindsley Donnelly. Thank you, Lindsley, for joining the show. Uh, You know, the PTC seems like a perfect match. I was reading all about your background and the work you've done up until now. What are you kind of most... uh, Maybe excited, maybe it's not the right word, but most eager to kind of... to. get busy with with the PC, PTC and with all the different things that must be on your plate right now? Well, you know, I think that the, what the PTC has done historically is um, become just super relevant and critical for parents right now. And so there are three things I'm really excited about trying to help PTC continue their momentum they've already started on. One is I think PTC, there are a lot of great parenting editorial perspectives um, to help parents kind of filter through what's good content and what maybe not so great for their family. But I think PTC is a little bit 
different and that they take a stand on what's what's just really not good. Mm. And so they help surface that quickly for parents so that you can go through their red, yellow, green stoplight chart and go, I'm going to avoid everything red or mm-hmm. maybe everything yellow and only go for green. So they just make it easy for you to know not only what's good, but what's super bad. <laughs> so I think the second thing they're doing that's exciting is really transitioning more away from traditional TV broadcast into things that are relevant to parents and kids consuming media today, which is streaming technology. Um, I think if you ask a kid what's in BBC or CBS or ABC, they don't know. But if you ask them where the, what's Netflix and what's Amazon streaming, they can tell you all about it. So it's important for PTC to have made that transition to really encompass every way that a kid gets video content. Um, and, you know, the most popular way was streaming and sort of hold the streaming content providers accountable for family content and family criteria is is kind of critical and i think the third thing they're focusing on that's super exciting especially in this moment is for every girl you know the initiatives around trying to get media that supports girls and girls self-identity beyond the traditional media storyline um, and surfaces their um, either intelligence or smarts or steam oriented programming or athletics and so i think that's an exciting program that to bring into market with the partnership with little women yeah and pure flicks and I want to mention real briefly, what my sons watch is often YouTube, and that fascinates oh, yeah. them. And uh, that, that kind of has a whole different layer of complexity there. But it, it's what speaks to them. So I, I, I'm glad that PTC has been sort of nimble and able to kind of adjust to the, the changing landscape. I want to talk briefly about Netflix. And, you know, I, I guess 13 Reasons Why is a huge issue for PTC, and it's an ongoing issue. And I was curious why... Netflix, it's a huge player, and I appreciate a lot of what they do as a company, but they seem rather, if not resistant, almost callous to some of the charges that not only your organization has leveled against them, but other uh, you know, researchers and parenting groups have as well. What, what's going on now with, with PTC and Netflix, and are, do, you, are you, do you see some room for hope or optimism? You know, I think the way that there's going to be progress is where there is a demand feedback loop to Netflix. So until parents decide that it's such an important issue that they're actually going to cancel their subscription, I think it's hard to see Netflix, you know, changing their programming. Um, They are looking at their financial metrics and see that there are viewers of this program and that it is contributing to their subscription, um, you know, their subscription uh, renewal rates. Mm -hmm. And so they're making a business decision. And so I think, what PTC does and what all of these organizations do is help parents vote with their dollars so that content creators are creating content that's more in line with what they're hoping is available for family content. Gotcha. Uh, one of the things I was thinking about before our conversation was it would seem on paper that parents have more power than ever because in our digital age, you can kind of rally the hashtag army and you can kind of use different ways to spread the message about if you're worried about a show or a company or a certain program, is it true? Do you think that parents are more empowered today or maybe because everyone is empowered and no one is empowered? What's, what's your yeah, take on sort of where I, we are today? I, I think it's a little bit of, of the second. I think the reality is parents are just super overwhelmed with what they have to do in their parenting life that every parent had to do before them. But in the last five years, the, the amount of complexity to deal with the technology and media onslaught on parents is just mind-blowing. I mean, if you think about it, like, just do the math on how many hours a day a parent has with their kids, 
they have 45 fewer minutes than they had even five years ago overlapping with their kids. So their ability to watch what their kids are doing on the screen, it's just, it's superhuman to require them to do it. So we used to trust content providers to rate things in line with family values and then to show things that lined up with family requirements at times of day when kids were going to be there. That's all gone away. I mean, a kid can access whatever they want to access at any time of day on any device they're on unless you've got blocking and filtering technology on, like what, what Securely offers, or you've got a way to say you can't watch this specific channel. So it's um, it's really hard for parents to to organize and you know change content if they don't have the information on what they should change, which is what PTC does, and then have a have a way to vote with again vote with their dollars so that it does change. Mm-hmm. You know, there's an argument that's been made, and uh, I understand it to a certain degree that hey, if you're a good parent and your child is raised in a very nurturing, stable family that they can watch maybe R-rated material. They can be exposed to certain content that's mature and adult, and they'll grow up to be fine. I, I, you know, When I was a kid, I, my parents made a couple of complete blunders when it comes to their, our movie yeah. selection. It happens, and I was exposed to a couple of quick things, and I'm okay. And I think that other people say, well, maybe we're putting too much weight into this. Maybe that as a society, we need to raise the kids properly and then we should focus less on the content out there because it's just it's just too overwhelming. What's your response to that kind of argument? Well, I, you know, I think there's there is some truth to the idea that parents who can engage with their kids and you know raise their kids in a mindset that matches their family values are absolutely the most impa- important influence and voice for kids. Um, and so, you know, if a kid stumbles upon something here and there, that's what that's what the relationship with the parent is there to help is how do you navigate this one going forward. I think what that argument misses, though, is that the saturation that happens now to kids on screen time and media, you know, some of the stats you'll see from other organizations like Common Sense will say, you know, eight hours a day of screen time. So in a world 10 years ago or 15 years ago, this just it wasn't possible for kids to consume that much outside influence vis-a-vis their family as it is now. So whereas the parent's share of voice might have been 80% of the share of voice for kids 20 years ago, it's getting outshouted by the media. So it's like 20% of the share yeah. of voice. And so it's really hard to, you know, to, to take that in text when you run into I don't think it's different than maybe when, when you and I were growing up is the, the things that you ran across that you would have thought, well, you know, my parents let me watch this or that, and it was it was R-rated and, you know, it was a little adult. I think that what's new for parents now is what makes an R-rating or PG-13 or PG, that content would surprise most parents if they were watching the show as well. They would often say, what? That was in that show? You know, so that's what I think groups like the PTC do is say, yeah, that was in the show, you know, because mm-hmm. I think we all are operating on our own mindset of when I was a kid, blah, blah, blah. And when I was a kid is not what it is like to watch the content for today's kids. Yeah. You know, it's funny when I, when my kids were a little bit younger, I think they watched the Superman movies with Christopher Reeve and they were PG and there was some comic violence and it was never anything I found uh, upsetting or that was inappropriate. But today's just example, superhero movies, the violence is very in your face. It's very stark. There's death, there's destruction, and there's a there's a visceral nature to it that is not what I grew up with. So I, that's a good point. It is. Yeah, it's it it's, is. It's I think change. you can. It is, and you, you can. I mean, you can do it as a parent. You do a little exercise, and you do exactly what you described. You watch what you saw, 
I mean, and then you watch what their kids see and you think, that's Gotcha. We're speaking with Lindsay Donnelly, the newest member of the PTC Board of Directors and Head of Consumer Business for Securely, the online student safety platform. You know, obviously parents are dealing with so much more today, social media, uh, streaming outlets and more. Is there a certain element of the pop culture landscape today that really keeps you up at night and why? You know, I think I continue to be, whether it's, um, you know, Netflix or uh video content, I continue to be inspired by how powerful video content can be for kids on the positive, but then also a little terrified by how um, challenging it can be if they continue to see those video stories, those those storylines. So, you know, something like YouTube, I think, bothers a lot of parents because, you know, they don't know where their kids get lost on the right-hand rail. I'm not quite as worried by that because I feel like our kids have learned to navigate that. I'm more concerned when they sit and watch a show that normalizes things that are either violent or sexualizing um, either gender at, at young ages or you know, reinforcing stereotypes, ethnic and racial and religious and gender stereotypes continually reinforced. That that more keeps me up at night because I think it's shaping kids' mindsets on how they'll be leaders in the future. Um, and I think that that norm, the baseline norm of what is acceptable and what is what is good has gotten lower and lower. And so I worry about 20 years from now, what will be the expectation of leaders? That's a great point. You know, I know with my son, with his YouTube searches, he's often looking for Pokemon or silly things. But sometimes the content that he finds doesn't appear to be outrageous or upsetting or anything. And then midway through, they, they, there's a kind of a curveball thrown your way. So it's really yeah. hard to kind of get what's yeah. like the full extent of what you're going to see. Um, I want to talk yeah. a little bit about the smart feed, which which you've you've worked with. Talk about it and and how it can help parents, because it sounds like it sounds like a really important yeah. tool. Yeah, um, thank you. So um, my uh, partner, co-founder, and I, Didi, were two moms, and we just were struggling with this problem. I guess when our kids were like in second or third grade and younger, where we had done all of this parenting, we thought in our homes, and then our kids all of a sudden were on, on the playground and hearing about things from kids on the playground that we had never exposed them to, whether it was, hey, you know, mom, can I play Grand Theft Auto or Halo? And I'm thinking, where did you even hear about that? You know, you're eight. Um, or my daughter coming home from kindergarten and saying, I'm not going to eat my pasta because I'm, I'm going to you know, grow up to be fat. And we're like, where did you hear that? You know, what, what are you talking about? That's not in any of our storybooks that we've read. <laughs> and so what we sort of learned is that media stories influence kids. The older they get, they influence kids as much or more than parents messaging does, unfortunately. And so what we tried to build was a really easy curation engine for parents to be able to go in and say, hey, I've got a kid this age and I care about these kinds of character traits and I want to you know, sneak in a little broccoli, this kind of academic ideas. But my kid's really into these interests. And what's the intersection of those three things that will tell me what TV shows match, my parenting hopes and what my kid loves and what apps and what books and what games so that, you know, I can make peace with the fact that the screen is part of our family life. But if they're on that screen, they're at least consuming something that reinforces our family values and is interesting to our kids. You know, there's every parent has a hundred examples of when they tried to force feed a movie or a book or a TV show on their kids and their kids are like, you're kidding. You know, so that's really the art was trying to take the analogy of like organic food and what you'd stock your shelves with in your pantry and put that in the world of media and say, just stock your media shelves with 
good stuff that tastes good too. Because there's a lot of it. There's a lot of really great content. It's just really hard to find without organizations like PTC surfacing it quickly for you. So that was actually how I met the PTC was bringing in a lot of their editorial points of view around what is good so that parents could find it quickly. Excellent. And kind of keeping on the note, because I think sometimes this discussion that we're having gets negative, we're, we're being critical, and, and understandably so, but are there companies, media companies, uh, platforms out there that you think have done actually a pretty darn good job of, of helping parents and, and realizing the struggle that we have and, and, and giving them some real effective tools? Definitely. I mean, I think there are all over the spectrum. So there are editorial groups that make it easy, like Parent TV Council. Um, I think there are a lot of book and app editorial groups, like the Children's Technology Review is a fantastic app um, platform game reviewer that tries to do that. And so I think there are a lot of those that try to surface it quickly. I think on the content creation side, there are a couple of really exciting answers out there. PureFlix, which is taking a kind of a family value set that is you know, they would say is missing in Netflix and trying to make that easy for parents just to turn on the PureFlix channel and get good stuff. Uh, I think VidAngel has done some incredibly cool technology solutions where VidAngel lets you go in and set what kind of parameters you want to screen out of content digitally. So whatever your family guidelines are, you can say, take this stuff out and it automatically skips it. So I think that's super empowering as a parent to go, okay, great. Now I can watch this movie or this TV show and know that the stuff I don't want as a parent is going to get skipped. Yeah, and the I stuff actually, other people are comfortable with stays. Mm-hmm. You know, I met fine. the uh, the folks behind VidAngel, and I and their dashboard is insane. I mean, the amount of yeah. things you could take out yeah. and leave in is just, it's super flexible. Like 300 filters. Yeah, yeah, it's like whoa! I didn't even know I could. So I think that's super exciting. Um, I think um, you know there are a lot of content creator type studios and and channels, whether it's the Hallmark Channel or you know, people that are just kind of trying to make it easy for parents and appetizing for kids. Um, so I, th- I think there's a lot of great stuff out there. I mean, even on, for example, on Netflix, our kids watch American Genius. Um, our kids used to watch, uh, here's something that was pretty exciting to see parents do. Our kids used to watch the Wild Kratz show on Netflix and Netflix must have dropped it for whatever reason, but our kids loved it. And so I could use smart feed to find where it was available. Mm-hmm. It was available on Amazon and I could continue to support that show because that's a great show. And my, in my family's, dynamic. That's a great show. Just because Netflix stopped carrying it, I want that show to continue to be made so I could switch our spend to Amazon to support it. So I think there are ways out there that parents are able to kind of get quickly under the hood of what what works for them. I think, you know, obviously I I, uh, work with Securely now and I'm excited about what they've done to make it easy to block out bad stuff at the school levels and how they're trying to think about doing that for parents too. So there are people, there are people coming at the problem. I think, you know, we're, we're still early in this technology curve in a lot of ways. And so I think parents in the last five years have probably had the toughest job hmm. that parents have had in a long time trying to d- navigate this. Are there any sort of uh, maybe misunderstandings or, or bogus themes about the work that you do that you'd like to debunk? I mean, maybe I know sometimes the media kind of picks up a, a storyline or a narrative and it's not always accurate and uh, just anything sort of the work that, that the PTCs does or maybe work you've done in the past that you'd like to kind of, yeah. kind of spread a little yeah. truth around? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think, you know, people who are coming out like, like the, the PTC or smart, any of these editorial 
services for parents, they're, they're not coming at it from an idea of like, hey, we need to just restrict content and there's, you know, you know, freedom of speech and people can't make what they want to make. That's not at all the mission or the intent. It's for families and for kids. Most humans would agree that there are themes that are adult appropriate and there are themes that are child appropriate. And so the stewards of children are trying to make sure that kids really just consume the stuff that's kid appropriate. And as people can put technology to work to customize what they define as kid appropriate, just it makes it easier for parents to be the parents they want to be. And so I think what PTC does and, you know, definitely what SmartFeed does and what I think Securely does is it lets the parent control the content that's coming into their house and influencing their family and their kids instead of constantly having to run defense and block out a, a just a fire hose of content that is, you know, by most humans assessment, not appropriate for kids. Mm -hmm. So I think that's what's exciting about the work they're doing is, you know, people can make whatever content they want to make and show it to adults or whatever context they want to do that. But there needs to be a clear delineation between what's family appropriate, what's kid appropriate at certain age levels. And, and there needs to be the ability for parents to control that if they consider it a priority. Great. I had one last question. We've talked about, you know, kind of the power of the purse or the wallet where letting companies know that you will support them, you will not support them. Obviously, it's a very effective tool. But and we talked about some of the other settings and and technology that helps. If parents do want their voices to be heard, if they want to have an impact on the cultural conversation, uh, is there any kind of tips you can offer to them? We talked before about how it can be sort of a, a almost like a drowning because there's so many voices out there. But what are some of the more effective ways beyond canceling a Netflix, for example, that you could recommend yeah. people to do to, to, to make them feel like they their voice can be heard if applied properly? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, I think there are you know kind of two or three levers that, depending on how much time a parent has, they can pull. One is they can just, you know, have a short list of content that they think meets their own family criteria and just support it, you know, buy it you know, pay, pay for things instead of trying to find ways to, you know, not pay for content. I think pay for things that are good and, and more of that stuff gets made. So you can do that easily through Amazon streaming by buying different episodes, you know, a piece at a time instead of trying to buy a full subscription. I think you can also, um, related to that, support channels that are making you know, 80% of the content you think is great. So something like a Pure Flix or something like a VidAngel, just to support those services so more gets into that pipeline. I think this is the second thing that parents can do is have the dialogue with their kids about why they're making the choices they're making. You know, the kinds of conversations that you can have with kids about, here's why we think this is good content and here's why we think this is not the best content. And over time, kids actually start to kind of make that, you know, nutritious choice for their mindset, just like they make nutritious choice for their, um, their food as well as they grow up. So kind of actively having that dialogue, I think, is really the best thing you can do with your kids and show them the tools you're trying to use to help them and teach them to use those tools as well. Excellent. So I think, you know, it's fundamentally buying stuff that you support and not buying stuff that you don't is how you get the economic cycle working. Mm-hmm. I love the fact you use the word nutritious. I think it's a great, that's a great application of the word <laughs> in, in more than one ways. But, uh, well, thanks again, Lindsay, for joining the HitCast. Best of luck with your new position with the PTC and also keep looking out for children. We appreciate it. And uh, maybe we can check in down the road with uh, more technologies and more advice and more help. 
Thank you. Well, Christian, I enjoyed talking with you, and thank you for the work you're doing, trying to make it easy for parents to find the good things to put to work. Well, thanks again for listening. Don't forget to check out HollywoodandToto.com for both the show notes and, of course, the latest entertainment news. Please follow me at Twitter at HollywoodandToto. And we'd love it if you leave a podcast review over at iTunes. See you next week. What's up? It's Kevin Hart. And with new rewards from Chase Freedom Unlimited, I now earn even more cash back, even on a beach getaway. I earn 3% of drugstores on beach snacks. Hmm, these chips have some saying on them. I earn 3% on dining, including takeout, after a seagull eats all my chips. And I earn 5% on travel purchased through Chase, like a hotel room to hide from that seagull. Learn more at ChaseFreedom.com. Chase, make more of what's yours. Account subject to credit approval. Restrictions, limitations apply. Offer subject to change. Cards are issued by JPMorgan Chase Bank, NA member FDIC. Are you registered to vote this year? Yep, I'm registered. Well, you should vote yes on Amendment 1. You know what that's about, right? Well, tell me more about it. So right now, politicians make backroom deals to choose who they represent instead of us, the voters, choosing them. That's partisan gerrymandering. Wait, so they're choosing what's best for us. See, that's why we must vote yes on Amendment 1 on the November ballot. We must end partisan gerrymandering so that we can choose who represents us. And Amendment 1 will put new language taken from the 14th Amendment and the Voting Rights Act into the Virginia Constitution. Ah, I see. So for the first time in 400 years, Amendment 1 will allow citizens direct involvement in the process of drawing voting districts. And it'll add new civil rights protections, which sounds good to me. And that's not all. Voting yes on Amendment 1 will protect our right to vote. (laughs) Well, I'm going to vote yes on Amendment 1 to put the power in our hands. Paid for by Fair Maps Virginia.